in uh, in life, if you're a pet owner, there's usually people who are dog people or cat people, and some people would say they're both. I'm a dog and a cat person, but usually one is higher than the other. So I want to ask the question this morning: Who all here is a dog person? Where's our dog people at? Right on, right on. Where's our cat people? Who's our cat people? So we got some cat people. So some of you guys raised. Tw- so who's who's both? Give me those hands who are both cat and dog people. All right. I was talking to a friend. Oh, that's right. I had that written down. Anybody neither? Who's our neither people? All right, that's fair. <laughs> I was talking. What's that? <laughs> we got free kittens here. We got. We'll do our own Freedom Bible Church eBay on Sunday mornings. I was talking to a friend from Texas this week on the phone, and he was saying, he told me that there's a difference between dogs and cats, and he's really right. He said the difference between a dog and a cat is with a dog, you feed that dog, you pet that dog, you take care of that dog, you play with that dog, and the dog says, wow, you do this for me? You must be God. But a cat, you feed that cat, pet that cat, you take care of the cat, you play with the cat, the cat says, wow, you do this for me? I must be God. And that's how they behave, don't they? You know, the dog, because I, their owner, to him, to the dog, I'm God, the dog's loyal to me. He's obedient to me most of the time. He's glad to see me. And his world revolves around me. That's what it's like for a dog. But a cat, because the cat thinks that it is God, the cat is finicky, the cat can be standoffish, the the cat can be self-absorbed. When you come home, it doesn't care. It wants to avoid you sometimes. It doesn't want to play with you because the life of a cat is all about him. He's God. Our view of money can be either like a dog or a cat. A cat's view of money is God gives it to me, I'm going to spend it on me because life revolves around me. God is my ATM and he should provide for me. But viewing money like a dog, we see that God has provided for me, so I'm thankful. And I want to use what he's provided for me for him. If you ever notice a dog and a cat, the life of a dog seems a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun. They seem to have a lot more fun. And money can be enjoyable too. In fact, it was meant to be enjoyed. And today we're going to look at how can we enjoy the money that God has entrusted to us. The last few weeks we've looked at, first of all, that God is the one who provides money and he's the one who owns all the money. And we can earn money by being faithful with what he's provided and by working hard and diligently. We've seen that. We also looked at how do we handle money wisely? Uh, Don't borrow, save money, spend less than you earn, be generous with the money. We looked at, you know, how how can we handle God's money wisely? Then last week we looked at how to give back to God. And if you've missed any of those and want to catch up, go on the Facebook page and all those sermon videos are on there. Today we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy, it was written by a guy named Paul, an apostle Paul, to his young apprentice, Timothy. Timothy was the pastor.
pastor of the church of Ephesus. And Paul was giving him instructions for two things. First of all, Timothy, this is how you are to be a disciple of Jesus. This is how a disciple lives. And this is also how you are to lead for Jesus and disciple other people. These are instructions you need to teach other people. I need to apologize because in your program and on our slides also, I started our teaching at verse 6, but to get the context of it, I want to read verses 3, 4, and 5 also from 1 Timothy 6. Because in this context, Paul was, uh, as he's done before, he was being critical of false teachers for their false teaching, their false doctrine, for selfish motives. And in verses 3, 4, and 5, he was doing that. And so to really understand this context, let me read that for you. 1 Timothy 6, verse 3 says, uh, If anyone teaches false doctrines, a false teacher, and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. Paul doesn't pull any punches here. He's really critical. He has unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, mal malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind and who have been robbed of the truth, and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. Paul is saying that false teachers, and you can see them on TV today, false teachers think that godliness is a means of financial gain. They will preach that if you do the right things and obey God, that's the way to open up God's storehouse of blessings. You just got to do all the nice things, and then God will pour it out on you. They thought it was a means of financial gain. And then this is what Paul said to Timothy, discipling Timothy, instructing Pastor Timothy how to teach and preach at the, verse, in the, the church of Ephesus. He said, but godliness, not a means of financial gain, godliness with contentment is great gain. So being godly and being content with what you have, that is what is of real value. And I just want to point out this word godliness. It's an important word. Godliness is our highest pursuit at Freedom Bible Church. It's not money. It's not having a big building. It's not getting a large crowd. Our highest pursuit is that each of us would become mature in our walk with Jesus, a deep devotion to Jesus, and that godliness, living like Jesus, would be our highest pursuit. And godliness with contentment, Paul says, is great gain, is of great value, is of highest worth. Verse 7, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But we have food and clothing, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Paul is giving perspective to Timothy. Timothy, as a pastor there, you may not have great means. Be content with what God's given you because this world has a, a beginning. Your time on earth has an end. You brought nothing in. You're taking nothing out. What's on the other side? That's of great value. So being godly during these two dots with contentment will end up with great gain. Does that make sense? We're going to see that more and more here. Verse 9, people who want to get rich, like these false teachers were trying to get rich by manipulating people, people who want
want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men and women into ruin and destruction. What he's saying, if your highest pursuit is not godliness, if you're, and listen, earning money, making money is not the problem. But if that is my highest pursuit and my highest goal, that's the problem. That get rich quick, that's the problem. Verse 10, for because the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now notice that money isn't the root of all kinds of evil, but the love of money. If my highest pursuit is money, that's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And here's the rub, because we all need money. We've established that. God gives us money. God gives us money generously. It's not a sin to have money, but if that's my highest pursuit, then all kinds of different evil desires can creep in and become my highest devotion. So having this balanced approach of thankful for the money God's given me, recognizing that it's his and he's been generous with it, and wanting to earn more, not so that I can indulge myself, so that I can serve him better and be generous to him and to others. Having that balance is the rub here that Paul is addressing and pointing out to Timothy, learning to be content and being thankful. Verse 11, but you, Timothy, man of God, isn't this the greatest title we could ever ask for? You, woman of God, you, man of God, that's our highest pursuit, godliness, being a man of God, a woman of God. But you, Timothy, man of God, Flee from all this. Now, this word flee means to escape. The literal word uh, here means escape from all this. In other words, this, this desire to have more, this discontentment with what we have, this pursuit and love of money, it's like something that can capture you and take a hold of you, and you've got to escape from it. Flee from this, and here's what you pursue instead. Pursue righteousness. Do the right thing things, the things that God wants you to do. Pursue godliness. Godliness is somebody who imitates Jesus. Know Jesus, follow Jesus, serve Jesus, obey Jesus. Pursue faith, where I trust God to provide for me. Pursue faith. Pursue love, where I'm taking care of and loving and being generous with other people. Pursue endurance, when you're going through lean times financially. Endure, persevere, keep our eyes on Christ, and pursue gentleness, where I'm not harsh with people or angry with people, but I'm gentle with people. Pursue these things. Verse 12, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Remember, he was pointing out, you're taking, you brought nothing in this world, you're taking nothing, you're taking nothing out of this world, Take hold of this eternal life, which is to come, to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want you to remember this command here, because this is a command from Paul, to take hold of the eternal life to which we were called, because we're going to refer back to this in a second. Verse 13, Paul says, in the sight of God, and he's doing a little switch here. He's taking a little interlude and just going to magnify and point the light, shine the light on God. 
in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and in the, the, the sight of Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. What was the good confession Jesus made before Pontius Pilate? He didn't say many things, but he admitted, I am the king of the Jews. That was his good confession, that he is the king of the Jews, the king of kings, the firstborn of all creation. That's his good confession. So in the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and in the sight of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command. What is the command he's charging him to keep? It's the one we just read in verse 12, to take hold of eternal life to which you were called. That's the command. Hold on to, keep this command without spot or blameless until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. So Paul's telling him, hey, this is the highest command. In, in the sight of God, in the sight of Jesus, keep this command. Live for this point in time. You're born, you die, this is what we live for. That's the command that he's telling him to keep hold of. And the money, in this context, the money that we have from the time we're born to the time we die, use that money with the end in mind, with the other side in mind. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Paul's telling Timothy, God is the provider of all things. This is who he is. He's a ruler. He's the king of kings. And by the way, that was Jesus' good confession before Pontius Pilate, that he's the king of the Jews, that he's the king. He alone is immortal. He lives in unapproachable light. No one has seen him or can see him. To him be honor and might forever. So during this time on earth, Use the resources God has given us to bring him that in glory that he deserves. Now, Paul finishes up in verse 17 by telling Timothy, this God that we just talked about, this great God, he has entrusted you with money, and this is what you do with it. Verse 17, Pastor Timothy, command those who are in your church who are rich in this present world. Let's ask the question. Who is rich in this present world? What what determines if you're rich? Because you might say, well, I'm not very rich. I don't have very much. There's people who definitely have more than all of us. Who's rich? Who's not rich? Who's he talking to? I would submit that by uh, global standards, we're all rich. Everybody in this room, everybody, if you can log into Facebook, you're rich. If you have a car to drive, a house to live in, if you have disposable income, discretionary income, you're rich. You have more. People who aren't rich are working to try to find their next meal. People who aren't rich don't have choices, as in, I don't, get, I don't have to go in my closet and choose what I'm going to wear today. I only got one pair, and that's it. That's not So by world standards, global standards, we're all rich. Command those who are rich in this present world, in this point of time, birth to death, not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. And he just described God, unapproachable light, ruler, king of kings, lord of lords, put their hope in God 
who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So God provides us with everything for our enjoyment. What we have, we should and can enjoy. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, be generous, be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Use this time that we have now. Use what God has entrusted to us. Enjoy it and store it up for the other side, this coming age, so that they may then take hold of the life that is truly life. Life that is truly life on the other side can be enjoyed right now on this side by following God's instructions for how we enjoy the money that he's given us. We saw it in verse 17 that God gives us money so that we can enjoy it. Uh, God does not give us money so that we can love it. He does not give us money so that we can be consumed by earning it, lying awake at night, trying to figure out more and more ways to get it. He did not give us money so that we can worry about it, laying awake at night, worrying about how am I going to pay my bills because I've overextended myself. He doesn't give us money so we can handle it selfishly or foolishly or, or get ourselves in trouble with it. He doesn't give us money so that we can trust in the money instead of trusting in him. I find my security in him, not finding my security in money. God gives us money so that we can use it to store up treasure in heaven, life that is truly life. And he gives us money so that we can enjoy it now as we store up treasure in heaven. Does that make sense? That's why he gives it. And we can be and should be enjoyed. Well, how do we enjoy it? Paul tells Timothy four specific things, four specific ways that we can enjoy the money that God's given us. First of all, we saw it right away in verse 6, uh, the word content, contentment, used twice. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Well, just what exactly was the gain that Paul was talking about? What is this gain? It's the treasure in heaven. That's the great gain that godliness and contentment brings us. Now, godliness with discontentment does not give us great gain. If I'm discontent, I'm always wanting more. I'm desiring more. That's my highest pursuit. I get upset if I don't have more and don't have what I want. I'm envying other people and what they have and wish I had it. I complain that I'm undersupplied by God instead of being thankful for his supply. That's not great gain. Well, how do we become godly? Godliness with contentment is great. How do we come become godly? It's simply all about Jesus. If I know Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus and obey Jesus, I become godly. Start to live like Jesus. Well, how do I become content? First of all, remember back at verse 7, Paul gave perspective. You brought nothing into this world. You can take nothing out of this world. Have perspective that this world is temporary. Besides perspective, it's also having trust. Do you remember when Paul described God 
unapproachable light, King of kings, the supreme ruler, Lord of lords, we can trust him. He is in control. He has been faithful from before the beginning. We can trust him now and be content knowing that he gives us what we need. Now, it doesn't give us license to live foolishly or haphazardly, but if we follow his instructions to live wisely, we can trust him. We can be happy with whatever he provides. Does anybody know what kind of car this is? Not a Datsun. Good guess. That is a 1981 Honda Accord. You know how I know that? That was the first car I ever owned. Not that one on the screen, but I owned one of those. I paid $650 for it. It had a broken CV joint in the front, and so every time you turned a corner driving, it would make this clicking sound, click, 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 so you know that it was broken. I had a guy weld it for 40 bucks and drove it for a year back and forth to college, man. Uh, it was a, that was a beater of a car. I had to do Bondo work on it and everything, but I was happy with that. I was content with that. Anybody know what this is? That's a 1989 Dodge Shadow Aquamarine Blue. That was my second car I ever owned. Right after graduating from, from college, it looked with the wheels like that. That was, man, that thing, it did not have any get up and go. I wasn't flying down the highway at 80 miles an hour. But I was happy with that car. I would have loved to have had a Jeep. But the Jeep actually was the same price, but the insurance for the Jeep was twice as much. So I went with the, the Dodge Shadow. Being content means I'm happy with what God provides. So perspective, trusting God that he's providing. There's one other thing that Paul said to another church, to the Philippian church, uh, how can I be content? Verse 11 says, I've learned to be content, Paul says. It's something that we learn. It's not something that's automatically there. I have to teach myself, train myself by having that perspective, by trusting God. And then also, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. Paul said, I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any, in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Here's the secret to be content is I can do everything through Christ, through him who gives me strength. Jesus saves us. Jesus sustains us. And Jesus strengthens us to be content. Now, I know there's some sports stars who will put Philippians uh, 4.13 on their basketball shoe or something else like I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. They're taking it out of context. I can make three-pointers. I can dunk the ball. I can hit a home run through Christ who gives me strength. That's not the context. He can give me strength to be content because contentment is of higher value than hitting a three-pointer. Contentment with godliness is great gain. And that's how we become there's other ways to enjoy money. Paul told Timothy that we can enjoy money uh, when you love God and people more than things. Remember when he said that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? In verse 10, 
covetousness. I, I know a couple where the woman left the marriage because the husband did not make enough money. Led to adultery and abandonment and divorce. Some people, verse 11 says, were eager for money and they've wandered from the truth. They walked away from Christ because they loved money more than they loved God. They loved possessions more than they loved the provider of the possessions. These people were cats, not dogs. They thought they were God, not that God was God. Verse 11 says, uh, man of God, woman of God, flee from those things. Flee from loving money, loving things, and instead pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Pursue these things. Men and women of God, enjoy, don't enjoy the possessions more than you enjoy the provider of the possessions. I drove a convertible car twice in my life. One time I was renting a car, and when I got there, they didn't have the, the, the class of car that I had rented, so they bumped me up to a Chrysler Sebring convertible, Michael Scott car. So I've got the Chrysler Sebring, and you know I put that top down and driving around with that top down. It was a lot of fun. Another time, a friend of mine owned a convertible Camaro. And he said, anytime you want to drive that, you can drive. So one year, the day before school started, Stacy and I took our kids, who were young kids, got in the, they put them in the backseat of that convertible Camaro, put the top down, drove down through Yellowstone National Park with the top down in that Camaro. Man, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I've got a friend named Bill who was a pastor years ago in Michigan. And the guy from Bill's church lent him his convertible, said, anytime you want to drive it, you can drive it. So Bill got his son, put the top down, and they're just rolling. They were, the, the speed limit was an option that day, not a requirement, and they're rolling. Wind blowing through their hair, music turned up loud, they're laughing, they're smiling, they're having a great time. And his son said to him, Dad, I love this car. And my friend Bill slowed down, pulled over to the side of the road, he said, Son, we're having fun in this car. But I want to tell you, we love God and people, and we use things. We don't love things and use God and people. If we're going to enjoy money, we've got to love God and people more than the things. Now, it is fine. It is perfectly fine to have things. We need things. As long as we give to the Lord first, remember we looked at that, we spend less than we own and we save money and we're living wisely within those means and not wasteful, it's okay to have things. In our world, we, we need a car. It's okay to have a nice car. Now, when you're starting off in life, you might not have enough money to buy a nice car yet. I've got a really good friend named John who just a year ago bought a Toyota Tundra pickup new pickup. He's about 60 years old. All his life he's bought and driven these older pickups, beater pickups because he didn't have the money to do it. Now that he's 60, he has the means to do it. It's okay to buy a nice reliable pickup. It's okay to go out to eat. We have to eat. It's okay. We're not being extravagant, but we can go out and enjoy a meal. It's
it's okay to go on vacation. God gives us the money. You can enjoy going on vacation, not being extravagant, not being wasteful, not going into debt, always giving to God first generously. Sometimes it's okay to even have a want. You might not absolutely need something, but if we give to God first, live generously, do what he told us to do, live within those means. So there's that balance there. But if I'm loving those things and pursuing those things rather than godliness and Jesus being my highest pursuit, then there's that problem. We're crossing a line here of loving that money, which can lead to all kinds of evil. Some questions to ask ourselves. Is this purchase keeping me from growing in godliness? If I make this purchase, is it keeping me from that? Uh, If I make this purchase, will it hinder me from being a man or woman of God? Remember, this passage was all about godliness, being a man or woman of God. Is this hindering that? Is it keeping me from that? I can ask, is this purchase setting my sights solely on this side of eternity? Is it all about self-indulgement versus enjoyment on this side of eternity? Because, we ask that question because to really enjoy money, we want to set our sights on the other side. We saw this three different times in verse 12. Paul said, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Verse 14, he said, keep that command to keep uh, to take hold of eternal life. Verse 19 says, in this way, you will store up for yourselves treasures as a firm foundation for the coming age. On the other side, Paul was saying, you will enjoy money, God's money, the money he's entrusted to you. You will enjoy it when you use it for eternal purposes. What are some of God's eternal purposes? Well, giving it to God's work. We had our clothe kid about a month ago, and man, that was great. So many people gave and encouraged at that event. Just not only came and served, but gave towards that. We saw on that prayer video today some Samaritan's Purse inserts. We have our, our uh, shoebox child coming up pretty soon our uh, Operation Christmas Child, when, when people give to that, don't you feel good? Don't you? We talk about enjoying life between birth and death. When we give like that to God's work, we enjoy that. We feel good about that. What are some other God's work? Giving to widows and orphans. That's close to God's heart. Making disciples is our highest calling from Christ. Here's a picture of, uh, this is from Tanzania, one of the pastors. We, we support Pastor Michael there, and one of the pastors that he disciples is a guy named Komoro. I've shown several pictures of him over the last six months. He sent me more pictures on Friday and asked for prayer. He said, we're praying for your church, and he said, we're praying for the United States and the election. The whole world knows that, that things are bad. And he said, this is our prayer as we're praying for these things. And so they're, they're spread out there. And this is their church building. They don't have windows or, or complete walls yet. You can see they've got a stack of bricks over here ready to keep building those walls. See these guys? They're living for the other side. He asked for prayer. Yesterday, they went to the villages to share the gospel. They were using their resources between birth and death to store up treasure on the other side. They had their sights set on the other side. This is called living intentionally and giving intentionally, giving to God's work to accomplish God's purposes for God's glory. And we saw 
how Paul described the glory of God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light. It's for his glory. And when we give this way, we will impact eternity, the other side, and enjoy money on this side. What's the first step to doing that? Paul told, or the Paul didn't tell us this. This was in the writings of Hebrews. In fact, we read this verse last week at the beginning of our service. Therefore, holy brothers, that's us, who share in the heavenly calling, that's the other side, fix your thoughts on Jesus on this side, who's the apostle and a high priest whom we confess. When we think about Jesus often and always, it helps us to use the money that he's provided for us for his work, for his glory, and has an impact on the other side. The final thing that Paul mentions to Timothy to enjoy what God's provided, and we've used this word three times now in the last few weeks, it keeps recurring in this issue of money, is to use money to generously help people. Verse 18 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and to share. Use money to generously help people. We saw last week that uh, to generously give to God, to give to his work. Why? Because he's first generously given to us. We've received generously so we can give generously. And now this week we're seeing to give generously to people in God's, or in people who are in need. There's a family that was part of my church 13, 14 years ago. Uh, great couple. In fact, they were part of the founding members of that church. And she uh, was uh, diagnosed with leukemia. Had to life flight or do an angel flight with her from Bozeman, Montana, to Seattle, Washington, in the hospital there. And the people from our church were just rallying around this family. I flew out once to visit her in the hospital. They sent me with a suitcase full of stuff for her and her husband and her daughter who were staying out there. After she was well enough to get got out of the hospital and came back and we were able to uh, sort of diagnose their financial needs, we had a big, our church and another church combined and did a big fundraising dinner and a silent auction to raise money. And people from our church generously gave items for that auction. People from our church generously bought items from that auction. People from our church generously bought tickets to go to that dinner and made extra donations for that family. They were using their money to generously help people. I've got a friend who uh, was a pastor in Iowa, just recently moved to Florida, and he received, one of his parents passed away, and he received an inheritance, and he gave a chunk of that inheritance to a ministry, to a mission ministry, because he wanted to use money to generously help people. Does anybody know what yesterday was? The first day season in the state of Ohio. Amen. Hallelujah. One of my good friends on the first day of gun season in Montana would have a harvest party at his house. Now, if you think of harvest party as, as like a, a knockoff Halloween party for kids, this harvest party was we're going to harvest deer. And their goal was 30 deer every year so that they could then use that meat to feed poor people in that community. And they loved doing it. He 
use their gifts to generously help other people in need. So we give money generously to help people, but we also do good works, be rich in good works. We serve people as well. First Peter 4.10 says each one should use whatever gift he has received. Some of our gifts are money. We've received all of our money. It's a gift from God. Others of our gifts are abilities, the abilities that we have. Those are a gift from God. We should use both those gifts to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I'm so thankful for people of our church, Freedom Bible Church, who use their gifts to serve people. When Brian and Chris and uh, Taylor lead us in singing, when Drew takes care of all of our audio video things, when Chuck greets everybody at the door, when Zach and Stacy work in the children's ministry, when Christine and Katie and Kirsten and Abby and, and uh, hey Jan work in the nursery to watch our kids, and people who show hospitality to one another. When we serve one another, we are faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. We are generously helping people. So how can you help and serve people? Send out a note. Make a meal. Give somebody a phone call who you haven't seen. Show hospitality. That's how we enjoy our resources and our money on this side. That stores up treasure in heaven. That brings God glory, and it helps people, and it's enjoyable for us. Money is a big part of everyday life. Money is a big part of being discipled. How do I handle God's money? It's a necessity to have money but it's also a nicety to have money. And we enjoy it, we enjoy the nicety by being content, not greedy. We enjoy it by using it, not loving it. We want to love people and love God more than we love money. We enjoy it by using it for our needs, but also helping other people in need. We enjoy it storing up treasure in heaven and using it generously. That brings God glory. That brings you and me gladness and joy and joy in it. I want to finish out by, by playing a song. I want you to listen to words to these songs because we've spent four weeks talking about money and I don't want us to forget that, that money and possessions is not our highest treasure. We want to use those things as a gift from God and manage them well but our highest treasure is Jesus Christ. Our highest treasure, our highest pursuit, our highest treasure, our greatest reward is, is Jesus. So let's listen to this song, listen to the words, enjoy the scenery.
treasure Jesus Christ. Pursue Jesus Christ. Godliness. Men of God. Women of God. Young people of God. That's what we want. So please, Lord, we ask you to please provide for all our needs. Help us to be faithful with what you've given us. Help us to be hard workers. Help us to give generously. And help us be content and thankful. We praise you, Father, through Jesus, our highest treasure.